Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hoover. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? Uh, My name is Maya Hoover, and I am the host of What Was Her Name? Uh, Today I have my guest, Callie uh, Fortius. Is that how you say it? Yes, yeah, close. <laughs> okay, darn it. Um, okay. Thank you, Callie. Um, and I'm, yeah, really eager to hear your story. We've uh, followed each other in the Instagram world for quite a while. And um, I always like have like these random interactions with you, but I'm like, I think I've said a couple of times, like, hey, can I get your story? Hey, I want to know your story. Hey, I want to hear your story. And so finally, it's just, uh, it's just time to share it. And so I'm really yeah. looking forward to hearing it. And I'm just yeah, really excited to have you on the podcast today. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be able to share my story and to be able to be on. Yeah. Um, okay. So the place that I always like to start is, um, so well, first, how long was the relationship mm-hmm. and, um, how long was the relationship when did, and when did you leave? So uh, the relationship was coming up on 10 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I left when, um, my, or our son was 10 months old. Okay. So it was, um, yeah, it was a very long time before Mm -hmm. our son came into the picture. I met him when I was 18. So it was, yeah, basically the majority of my twenties. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then, um, sorry, did you say when you left? Um, so I was, uh, at the time 26, I would have been, and yeah, our son was 10 months old. So that was the time of year. I remember everything. It was, uh, September, 2017. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Wait, sorry. Yeah. 2017, 16. I might be mixing those up because again, 10 years, long time, long time. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You actually got married or I mean, sorry, no, you left the year that yeah. I got married, like the month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Super weird. Oh, wow. um, yeah. It's amazing. I feel like there's a lot of, I don't know, just when you start to talk to people within this community, there's so many synchronicities in that way. And just, yeah. Yeah. No, for connected. Real. <laughs> yeah, no, truly. Um, okay. So 10 years and how mm-hmm. did you guys initially meet? So, I mean, I was in high school, so it was very juvenile, um, mutual friends introducing, and we met at house party, and it was just at a time in my life where I was about, I had to make a decision about college. I wasn't doing well in high school. I was going through a lot of um, emotional, you know, upheavals. A lot of issues with disordered eating that I wasn't, you know, getting help for talking about with anybody and had a lot of just personal things that had happened in a really short period of time. Some, you know, darker things, sexual abuse that happened within like my very first experiences, which then kind of pushed me towards him. Um, He was a little bit older than me, which is you know, a theme. So, but only by two years, but still old enough that he was disconnected from, you know, the friends that I had and this kind of toxic situation that was going on there. Right. And, you know, I shared my vulnerabilities and as they often do, he, you know, took that, ran with it, you know, did the classic like love bombing, but again, in a very juvenile way. So it was high school essentially, even though he was he would have been 20. Right. Um, and I just he in that moment, it wouldn't it didn't take much because I was in such a you know vulnerable place in my life. Right. Right. I think that's interesting how it makes perfect sense, but it's interesting as well that vulnerability is often the catapult to like making decisions where we are with somebody who then uh whether it's intentional or unintentional takes advantage of us Mm -hmm. in 
responsibility. And I think that there are definitely people who are ill-intentioned who mm-hmm. seek out women who are vulnerable um, to like manipulate them. And then there's also people who maybe it's unintentional, but mm-hmm. there's still this often this common theme of a vulnerable state that you're in that leads to it. And not all the time, like it's definitely not like a, everyone is just vulnerable and this is just how it is. But um, yeah, I think that's just seems to be like a common pattern that I see is um, a lot of women feeling very vulnerable, often at, at a little bit of a younger stage in life where things are mm-hmm. kind of in the air. I don't know what family home life look like, but a lot of broken homes and, you know, this promise of the moon and then abuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just at a time in your life too, where to make so many serious decisions and, you know, I'm somebody who I struggled and still struggle with dyslexia and uh, other learning disabilities. So that made me even more vulnerable and have more self-doubt and just be, you know, in a position where it, like I said, it didn't take much for him to be able to kind of wrap me up into his world. Right. So at 18, basically right as I graduated, I, uh, he had convinced me to not go to college <laughs> and, uh, I stayed cause I was also in a place where I was unsure what I wanted to do. And so I told my parents I was taking time, you know, to think about it. And I ended up very quickly, uh, moving in with him and his parents actually, um, in their home, which is the state of the home that I was in. It's really hard for me to think about and to comprehend the fact that I willingly put myself there because I actually, like I came from a family that was, my parents were divorced and they weren't perfect, but like there was nothing, you know, that would have seemed like it would have pushed me into this place, but I willingly went and lived there and his uh, parents and their home that they had, they were, or I'm assuming they are still uh, hoarders. Hmm. And the home that they were in was, and still is under construction. It's been under construction for over at this point, I think almost four decades. Wow. And there was just so much toxicity there. And that whole, the home was very the energy in the home was very dark. There was just a lot, a lot of um, just pain. And I am a very empathetic person. And so meeting my ex, he knew that and he would tell me about, you know, what his life was like growing up and the struggles that he had. And I felt very deeply for him and felt that he was in a very sad and toxic situation. So I then wanted to like pour into him and give him what he never got as a child, but also willingly put myself in that same setting and situation. Um, And did so also because he ended up, um, when I graduated, he knew that I loved animals and he had um, this Doberman puppy that he had had for a while, but ended up being his dad's dog. So he surprised me and for my graduation, got me a dog. Mm. And so it was, which seems crazy, you know, thinking back at 18, like, what am I, I don't even have a house. I'm so it was another thing that kind of catapulted me to move in to that home. Mm. And from that point, it was just a lot of, um, I mean, within his family, a lot of drug use, a lot of abuse that I witnessed and just in a sense felt like I was on the outside because I didn't think it was happening to me because I witnessed their family mm-hmm. and the toxicity within that. And I kind of felt like I was separated from it, even though I was so deeply in it and being abused at that time, but not in a physical sense. It was you know, psychological and emotional. And then very quickly, uh, it became financial as well. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, progressed more and more as everything went on. Um, 
So initially in the beginning of the relationship, um, you said that he loved Bami. What are some examples of like kind of just the character that you saw in the beginning when you first met him? Like, can you give some, me some examples of yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, very just like basic things where I, you know, I was giving him all of these, this information about me up front about how I felt like I was, you know, rejected or what I was dealing with, with my, you know, disordered eating, all this emotional kind of like ammunition. So he would say, oh, I, every day I'm going to tell you how beautiful you are and I'll never, you know, let you feel like you're not. And I, I believed that and was like, wow, oh my gosh, this is okay. Like I need that. I want that. I'm desperate for that. So then just that little nugget, which didn't last long, that was about a month. And then it was the opposite of your beautiful. It was every, you know, horrific thing you could ever think of that he started to call me. And at that point, you're so warped and you don't even really realize what's going on and how to get out of it is just an impossibility because you're so mentally just whiplash essentially. And then beyond just like the, you know, him saying like that I'm beautiful and this and that, it was just like gifts, you know, Um, he would show up to my, once I ended up getting a job after high school, he'd show up to my work and, you know, have a random gift. Like he'd go to my favorite store in the mall and just out of nowhere. And he would also eventually do this too. If I, cause there were several times throughout these years that I attempted to leave and he would try to win me back, which I guess to a degree it worked through you know, buying me things or just making me feel indebted to him. Yeah. Yeah. I think like leveraging those insecurities is a big thing. And then using those very insecurities as ammunition to tear apart an individual, um, which also is like so interconnected with the vulnerability that that you were talking about because like Mm -hmm. initially you know being vulnerable then feeling like it's a safe space to open up and share your insecurities and then there's this person who's basically validating all the things that you're you feel are wrong and then using those to leverage it against you and when it's not like initially built and secured without that person's validation then when they turn around and they use it against you it's like it creates this really sick dynamic where it's like you like someone is treating you really poorly, but then you're like almost like you're like hungry for validation from the very person who's like mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It was constantly seeking approval, validation, and living a life of just walking on eggshells, mm-hmm. waiting so- for the other shoe to drop. When was the first time that you really realized and that thought crossed your mind like, oh, something's not right here. So early on, which is really hard to grapple with the fact that I was in this for so long with him because it was within the first month, if I mean, maybe even sooner. He um, didn't like that I had, and I had issues with these friends in high school, but they were mostly male friends. He told me that if I wanted to be with him, I couldn't be friends with them anymore. And at the time, the relationships with those friends were so complicated that in my mind, I was like, okay, this not be friends with them anyways. Mm-hmm. So he's just supporting me and telling me, you know, this thing that's probably true and I just need that push to do this. And so that was the first, you know, true indicator of him controlling my friend group. And then he would start to um, really try to come between my mom and she and I have always had a really 
you know, strong relationship. I'm her only daughter. And obviously every mother daughter relationship, has complications, but she's always been somebody who, you know, is my mom, but also like my best friend. Mm -hmm. So I started to pull away from her a lot more. And that was something that became alarming. And she, I have an aunt who works in social work, who I remember, um, my mom had reached out to her and she printed out the, uh, the abuse wheel, which I feel like you've probably studied that maybe know it by heart by now. I know I've seen it a million times. It's just like the spectrum and different types of abuse. And I have this vivid memory of taking it and throwing it in the back seat of my car and just being so mad mm. that they would even suggest that this person who loves me like nobody else does mm. would be that way but then also still having these feelings that this isn't right right but still feeling like he loves me more than any of anybody else does mm. so mm. those were you know the initial indicators but then very very quickly it became much worse because it was clear that he was abusing substances um his father was giving him his prescription to vicodin and he would i remember him chewing it like it was candy and just being very unaware and uneducated and also afraid, not sure what to even do with that. But I, one of the points where I tried to leave him early on, it was because of the Vicodin use. And I remember telling him like, you're like Jekyll and Hyde. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like you're one person, one moment, and then you're somebody completely different. And I believed it was because of that. And he had told me it was because of that. So then he stopped or so he said he did. Mm. And I chose to believe that. Mm. And so for a while, I just thought, okay, it was just this. And he's getting better. Things are getting better, mm. which didn't last long. Mm. And there'd be really violent episodes where it wasn't physical in the sense that he wasn't like punching me or beating me but he would become intoxicated and there was one in one uh, night where we went out to his friend's house and we had all been drinking and he got mad at me because I just lingered back a little too long talking to his friend's girlfriend hmm. and I didn't leave right when he left quickly enough mm -hmm. So he left me there mm. and I had to find my way home, which it wasn't far, um, but it was, you know, we had been out drinking. It was, I was really young and not <laughs> used to anything like that. Um, and by the time I had got back to his parents' house, he was what he used to call in he, that he was, was seeing red. So he was lashing out at everybody right. in the household. He was breaking things. He was just on another level. Mm. I remember being intoxicated and sobbing and feeling just completely like shocked because it was the first time I really saw him just, I mean, he was in his mom's face, his father's face. Like they were all, nobody could control him. And his sister, who was older, was there at the time. And she just brought me into the back room and laid me down on this bed and laid with me and like basically rocked me to sleep <laughs> as yeah. I was like in a panic attack. And the next morning woke up and he had fallen asleep or passed out under his parents' van. Mm -hmm. He was throwing money at them and like, there was money all over the street hmm. and he acted as if nothing happened and they all did as well. And we just had to carry on and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. I think that's, so the parents didn't acknowledge it at all. They enabled him deeply. His father, from what I've 
over the years. I, you know, I didn't, he's a, an interesting person looking at him, Mm. you'd be intimidated right up front, but he's Southern. Mm. So he's got this charm about him that was endearing, but also disarming. Right. But he would say, you know, like part of my language, but it's like uh, how they always say, it's like saying fuck you with a smile kind of thing. He would be saying something sweet and then not like, or saying it in the sweet accent, but he'd be saying something terrible Mm. and you just have to kind of smile and take it. And so it took me a while to realize like the depths of his personality and the influence that he had over my ex and the dynamic he had their whole family had and just really how toxic that was um because there ended up being a lot of loss uh his sister ended up dying of a heroin overdose mm-hmm. his sister's daughter who was his niece his sister was older she eventually died of a heroin overdose mm-hmm. And there was just, there's a lot of dark, deep-rooted pain that I believe the origin comes from the abuse. Mm -hmm. And it started, I think, before, you know, my ex, before his dad. I think it's something really deeply rooted within their family's system. And they don't even, they wouldn't even know how to untangle it Mm. yeah like I'm gonna so so much there um (laughs) just for a second um to just move backwards um I thought it's really interesting that you said seeing red because we had an episode actually no we didn't have an episode on this um this is just somebody that I was helping outside of podcast but she had talked about the phrase no, you know what? No, there's, I've heard that actually multiple times where someone yeah. that they've said they're seeing red. And I think I had an episode, I almost called it that. And um, mm-hmm. I've heard that multiple times. I know that people who have anger mm-hmm. and who have struggle, who struggle managing anger will like, ex- you know, explode. And then they say that they see red, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really, it's really like heartbreaking just to hear how like even you reverted to almost this like childlike nature of like needing to crawl in a ball because it's like you just needed to be like almost like helped to sleep because it was like too much. And I think that's something that a lot of people in this space, including myself, can really resonate deeply with. And I think it's something, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't really talk about like we're not going around to people and being like, Hey, let's get coffee. And let me tell you about that one time that I had a panic attack and I, (laughs) you know, but it's like very real pain and very real suffering. And those moments are etched in your mind like forever. And I remember still, you know, those moments where I grieved in a way and mourned in a way that I never have before. And I know that, you know, this is an example for you. And then I know that other people listening have those moments and those memories that they can think of where they're like, man, like, I'm so glad I'm not face anymore. And those moments definitely came more regularly. And that it's interesting because that moment with his sister, I ended up years later um, when I was pregnant with our son. Mm -hmm. I, we, he was uh, having an abusive episode (laughs) and he had, he has his own or had his own business and had employees that were at the house and two of them actually were my cousins mm. who were employed by him and he was just losing it on me and I was probably seven months pregnant mm. and I remember going and hiding in the basement there was a bathroom down there and just like concrete tile like nothing fancy just basement bathroom mm. and locking the door and just sobbing and him, he would ridicule me for crying, you know, mocking me, calling me, you know, every name that he could think of. And in that moment, I was on the floor, you know, again, heavily pregnant, just holding myself in the fetal position, sobbing. And, you know, I'm 
I like to consider myself a spiritual person. I'm a sensitive person. I didn't grow up in religion or anything like that. So I've always kind of, you know, not claimed that, but I have always felt deeply and spiritually and feel like energy. And I, in that moment, had this like overwhelming sensation that I could just feel his sister holding me and rocking me. And it was as if I was like, really back in that moment hmm. but at this it, but instead of it just being me it was me and you know my son hmm. wow. how does it feel like talking about these things and like kind of like bringing them to the surface now I know that you've dealt probably with a lot of it but I mean obviously yeah. first time in this space yeah no it feels you know really good to talk about it it's something that I've always felt for me I had no other choice. Like I've always been as vocal as I've been able to be in a lot of ways. I think we know, you know, very deeply that we can become silenced and it's scary to speak out, but in every way that I could, I've always tried. I've leaned on creative writing to be able to express things and maybe a more obscure way that could or coded way that couldn't be used in a court of law (laughs) but I uh I've I feel like I have a personal mission like I've gone through this for a reason and it's not to just keep it all inside and ignore it I truly believe that talking about it is the only way that I can prevent it right for my son um, but not only that, I've, every time I've shared anything, it's had an impact and I've had even, you know, just, I worked at a yoga studio for years and I would, that's, you know, a pretty good place to be able to be open and be vulnerable. And that I, I had, you know, people come up to me and tell me that me even just sharing about, like, I shared about panic attacks that I had. And it was while a student was having it, like an active panic attack. And I was able to help her, you know, regulate her system just it because I knew what that felt like. And then after that point, just us talking and, you know, being open about it, it's just all of these little pieces click. And then, you know, it does something and that person takes that and whether it's something that they've been personally affected by or they know somebody, it's just got this, you know, this effect that just, it keeps trickling down. And like I said, we're all connected. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we all experience, have experienced or know somebody that has experienced abuse. Mm -hmm. And we live in a very abusive system and society. Mm -hmm. So the more that we talk about it, the more that we're able to implement and enact change, even in a very, you know, minute way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so good. I think it's like really an important conversation that needs to be had and like, it's really challenging and it can be really triggering, but it's also (laughs) just a really special place to kind of like create a place to talk about these really hard things, um, that likely don't come up over dinner or coffee. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how did, uh, being abused, like start to manifest in your daily life? Um, like, are there maybe yeah. like one or two examples? I know there's so many, um, yeah. but that stand out to you where you're like, this was kind of my life for X amount of years. And this was kind of the pattern and like how that went for you. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as like my career and work and all that I was so limited because he uh, he controlled my life where I wasn't able to build relationships friendships I was so isolated and his family and that family unit the way that they worked it's I almost to be honest you know associated with like a a cult because they're very it's like a family cult. They're very intertwined. So I was kind of wrapped up in that. And so isolated that I was only able to 
share a surface level of who I was Mm -hmm. with the outside world. So that was like the biggest hindrance is that I just couldn't be the full expression of who I was. And then because of that, my routine, my life was so, you know, regimented and just like, it was like Groundhog's Day at times. It's just the same thing, the same sad thing and coming home and disassociating to try to just not exist in the reality that we were in. So like, I don't know, I'm sure you've uh, watched the show made that was on Netflix. there's, There's this scene in the show where she's gone back and she's laying on the couch and in this like disassociative state where she just, it's a way that they film it too. It's really cool. She starts to like literally sink into the couch and just like, she's just falling into it essentially. And I had that feeling every day that like, I was just sinking into the couch, my mind almost like feeling like if you've ever had restless leg syndrome, similar feeling where like your mind, everything is like screaming your body can't move though but it's like you you feel like your skin is crawling but you can't move you just can't get up right and you're telling yourself get up get up get up get up do something different change leave but you're so just you're so stuck Mm. so I was so stuck and so detached that my life became so small where I had my animals mm-hmm. and just like, you know, this little pocket and it was good enough until it was not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, towards before I had, before I became pregnant, that's when it was like, I was, you know, definitely suicidal and thought every day about a way out right and never with the intention but just how do I like I can't live like this yeah I have to get out and then eventually ended up you know going to a doctor and talking to them about you know getting support in other ways but which became a catalyst you know for a lot of things me getting pregnant, but then a lot of clarity that came with that. And then from that clarity was, all right, like the motive, everything was kind of like falling into place. There'd be days where it's like, I need to get out still and like actually figure this out. Yeah. Cause I just, it's, this is abuse. And I started really labeling it and I started calling, you know, calling it out in the moment too, which became more dangerous as well. And I think that that's something, um, you know, initially it, I think you said it was your parents that gave you the wheel, right? Yeah. My mom. Yeah. And like when you're not ready to admit or to like, not even admit, like there is a phase in a period where you do not recognize what is happening to you. Mm-hmm. It's very risky for somebody from the outside looking in to step in and say, hey, you're being abused. But mm-hmm. there's like when it's communicated in a certain way, like I actually love that she gave you like a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like something tangible that you could like have and see. And yeah. obviously you pissed you off and you threw in the back seat. But <laughs> fast forward when you were ready. And unfortunately, I see this so often. And I know you do as well as like, People have to get to the end of end of themselves before they're ready to even like consider the idea of abuse. And oh yeah. So I think like even for people listening who may be in a situation where they're like, you know, I know someone who is in a toxic relationship, but I'm scared because I don't want to lose their friendship. It's like giving them the resources, but then also making sure that you let them know that you still support them. And it's not that you're supporting the relationship and you're being like, yeah, like this is the guy for you. Like he's great, but you're supporting the fact that you're like, okay, 
you need somebody who's going to be here to hold you when you're in a ball and a panic attack or who is going to be here when you feel like your life literally is over and you rather have a car hit you than just be driving on the road to your grocery store. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not to say that that's everyone's position because some people may not be in that space. They may not be able to, you know, emotionally be what somebody needs in that time, but there's still ways to support people whether it's up close and personal or it's like over the phone, whatever it may be, while setting healthy boundaries in order to say, hey, this is what I think is happening. Here are these resources. I support you though. And there's no judgment for me that you stay Mm -hmm. because eventually they really do have to get to the end of themselves to realize that like they're being abused and like it literally takes the unraveling, which is why we see so many women dying because like you can't get through to them. And it's like the biggest fear, right? Is that they're either going to be dead from the, that they're either going to get killed or they're going to commit suicide. And mm-hmm. like, it's, we see it all the time. And so I just, I don't know. I was just thinking about that and thinking about your mom and I just can resonate with that very much. Yeah. Yeah. And she, I mean, she had wrote me a letter apologizing because I think I lashed out at her too. And like, and I still, I saved that letter. I've got it still. Cause it's just, it's sad, but it's also just her desperate attempt to like not fully lose me. And that worked because she remained my lifeline. Like I still held on to them, but they also were continuously left in the dark about how, just how bad it was. So they only knew the surface as well. Just as I said, you know, everybody at work, everybody, my whole life was just skimming the surface with everybody else, because if they truly got to know what was going on, like, it's so, so dark. I mean, the things, and this just, again, like I could, I, it would take me probably 20 episodes to get through the depths of everything you know and that's just even before our son came along yeah but then the point where he comes into the picture just even you know especially when I was pregnant you know as you know that's where everything increases the abuse increases and usually the physical abuse if it wasn't there before and like a you know truly in a truly physical sense you know Cause he was, he was physically abusive, but he would be like getting in my face and screaming. So I would justify that and say, that's not, he's not punching me. Mm. He's just not respecting my space or something like that, Mm. but that's physical abuse. So, you know, I become pregnant and these things are getting worse and I'm trying to hold them in, but it's like, you can see it. And this is something now when I, see people and you can almost, you can almost identify the state of their relationship or like what's going on in their world, even if it's not their relationship based off of their physical, you know, their, their face and their vibrancy. And I look at old photos of me and I just look just malnourished, depleted, or, you know, even if I wasn't thin, it was just like, I was not healthy. And then when I was pregnant, I was, so sick and struggling and really I had just a really difficult pregnancy and you know my mom without her being there without her like taking that approach Mm. I definitely would not have survived that and because I started to reach out to her more and tell her a little you know a little bit more Mm -hmm. a little bit more until and I and I actually uh once he was born, we left twice and I went back and I know that I can't even imagine from her perspective, what that felt like to have to be like, okay, you two are going back again. Mm -hmm. Because again, she didn't know the full extent, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was me leaving and him chasing me and our son who was a newborn at high speeds in his truck down in multiple times 
and me going to her house and saying, we just got into a huge fight, not saying I was just, you know, almost chased off the road with our infant son. Right. You know, just not telling her just enough so I could, you know, I didn't want to hurt her and hurt them. So just enough. But eventually it's like, it, it becomes too much. And the point where I really knew like it was, I mean, there's so many points where I really knew that this was not going to be, I was not going to survive this, Yeah, but it was, um, hit, our son had to be at the time, probably eight months old and he was at his parents' house Yeah, and I had been helping him with his company and working for him and he lost it. We had just gotten home and he lost it over something Mm -hmm. and just, I don't, it could have been, you know, I needed to pick up his boots and I just didn't do it quick enough. And he got in my face and was screaming and spitting on me and antagonizing me and telling me to like hit him and trying to get me to, you know, trying to get me to react and then claim it was abuse. And (laughs) excuse me, I um, ended up pushing him and telling him to get out of my face. And there's a memory just, you know, was very foggy, patchy, but I remember being basically tackled down onto the recliner, it was like a leather recliner that he had in the living room and he flipped it over. I was, you know, my back on the ground, he's on top of me on the recliner and he's essentially trying to choke me to death is what I thought in my mind. I'm like, he's killing me because he was choking me and I couldn't breathe. And I had an eight month old and he wasn't there, but I didn't, you know, you don't want to die. So I remember reaching up and thinking, I have to choke him. I have to do, I have to hurt him, get him off of me or else I'm going to die. And I just remember putting my hands around his throat. And then he had this smile and this look in his eyes. And then he took his throat and pushed it into my hand as hard as he could, smiling intentionally trying to leave more marks around his neck or do something. And I don't remember how I got, like, I couldn't remember how I got out of that for years. I just blacked it out. I just remembered that moment. And it was like this real, you know, on replay in my mind over and over again. And, you know, I'd have panic attacks a lot about that and feeling like the weight of him on my chest. Um, but it wasn't till years later when talking to his, you know, my ex's other ex and about all the abuse that she endured, that she ended up relaying the story that his father had told her about, you know, basically telling her that it wasn't going to get better and that he knew about the abuse because he had to pull him off of me when he was choking me and it was like as soon as she told me this it was like the scene in a movie where like you know you're in an up close you know angle and then all of a sudden it goes pans out to a wide angle where you see the rest of it and it all just kind of makes sense right and I remembered oh his dad pulled him off of me Hmm. and then not only that but then withheld that information for years Hmm. and then eventually would deny it because it was attempted, I mean, he attempted to kill me. Mm. And, you know, it always gets worse. And that wasn't the point where I left. I We left two months later, I stayed. Mm. But I was so sure that I would be dying mm. because of that. And the... The day that we ended up actually leaving, it was like just a regular day, except that we had all woken up sick and it came down to him just throwing this, you know, tantrum again. I wasn't 
moving quick enough. He wanted me to uh, essentially lock our baby in a room all day so I could just work and not have to deal with our son. Mm. And I refused. And he, you know, he would often take the car and take my phone. So I'd be stranded there with the baby and not have any way to get a hold of anybody really, other than at the time it was Facebook Messenger. <laughs> so I went on the computer and messaged his mom and told her I needed her to come get us. And she did. And then eventually I think I messaged my mom and said I need her to come get us from his parents' house. Mm-hmm. And she did. And that was we never went back. Or I mean I never I should say I never went back. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, it's honestly just like I think I can resonate with this. And I know like a lot of people here can and obviously all of our stories are so different but there's just so much that's intertwined here and I can just like imagine how scared you must have felt in that time and having to kind of like share you just kept saying just enough you shared just enough just enough Mm -hmm. you said that so many times in repetition and I thought that was like super yeah I would say like profound just because I really like that phrase because I think just enough is kind of like a big, I don't know, statement. And um, whether it's like, you know, there was like just enough abuse where he didn't like, he was like, he was like screaming in your face, but he like hadn't hit you. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or uh, it's just enough uh, where he, he didn't drive you off the road, but he tried to drive you off the road. Like he was, mm-hmm. Know, racing after you um and you tell just enough information but you don't share too much because I think there's I, I I don't know what it was like for you I know for me I experienced like shame like even oh, just yeah. word abuse out loud was like so like whoa mm-hmm. and sharing the things that he would do it's like almost like you're protecting this partner and you feel the weight of the embarrassment of the behavior that they have while also trying to protect their like reputation for people to not mm-hmm. see them a certain way and it's like their crap that you are protecting and it just like eats you alive like you feel like you literally can't be like you just I don't know it's like I think everybody desires to have human connection and vulnerability even if people say that they're not like very vulnerable individuals we all desire human connection Mm -hmm. thrive when we are vulnerable with others and when you cannot be vulnerable and you're sitting at at a table with somebody or with somebody and you're carrying the weight of like an abusive relationship and you're sharing like just enough it is like the worst feeling I remember that feeling and just it was it was awful and it was so freeing when I could finally like say this and so it's like so crazy that like at one point it was just enough communication to get by and now you're like on a podcast sharing your story of abuse (laughs) just so wild you know I know it's um it's been a really wild journey because you know it's before we're we talked I was talking to my friend and I'm like how do I even digest you know where do I begin <laughs> because there's the 10 years of just he and I and then our son comes into the picture and there's the initial you know post-separation there's like there's a lot of abuse in that first family court. And then it's like, you know, it goes on and on and on. And there's, you know, we had trial custody and there's, like I said, it could be a 20, (laughs) a 20 episode Mm. podcast with the amount of just the amount of stuff, the amount of abuse and toxicity and pain. And we, you know, it's hard to really figure out where to start, but I think, you know, my, I I just know my mom is a huge piece of all of this. And I think like the message that is one of the messages that I do want to get across is if it's not your mom, it's, you know, maybe your coworker or your friend, or, you know, you know, like I said, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to have friends. So it could just be your coworker giving those people 
whoever just enough that could be your lifeline right you know you it could literally save your life and keeping my mom enough in the loop saved my life in so many different ways mm. um and i'm sure you know if you had her on your she would say oh, well you should you know i should have you should have told me more i would have done more and you know i wish i could have she still wishes she could have done more wishes she could do more but you know we're you have to go through it. Like you said, you have to, as an individual, go through everything and come undone and then figure out how to put yourself back together. Mm. And that has been a huge piece of all this. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fully together. There's so much growth and, you know, there's so much life and just purpose left to live. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of you know, struggles. And I still, you know, there's no resolution in our court case. We're still just in limbo, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit safer of a limbo right now. Right. But it's, you know, we, even in family court, it's each, each time we're like, well, how is this, you know, what is going on? How is this not being resolved? Like, how are they not seeing this mm. and it's something where like you know again my mom she would always lean on like well you have him now it's temporary but each day means each day is better than you know not having him and that we can it it will make the difference the more time the better time is on our side right now time is on our side and it's the same thing it's like I don't have that permanent resolution. You know, I don't have my justice fully and I desire that deeply. And my, our son deserves that. I deserve that, but we are in a position, you know, that's, I, I know is more privileged than other people because he's with me and he's safe right now. Mm. And I can, protect him right now. And I've done that to the best of my ability, you know, thus far, despite it all, mm -hmm. or maybe because of it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, adding kids in the mix is a whole nother realm. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard um, and scary and also really brave. Um, what is something that you feel like you can do now um, that you couldn't do then that you look at and you're like, whoa, this is like, even if it's something so minimal, I can do this now. And back then I, you know, uh, I can go out and dance mm. <laughs> that is so silly and simple and like I'm I don't know I can go out and like not feel like I'm being monitored and controlled and not dancing for any like I can go and just be free and dance mm. and it's so silly and oh no meaningful though because it's you know I didn't get that freedom mm. No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like silly at all. I remember um, one time I was dancing in the kitchen and just being silly. Mm -hmm. And my ex-husband looked at me with such a disdain. Like he was like, I think, I remember he turned to me and he was like, I didn't know that you were going to be like this. Yeah. And I read that, yeah, <laughs> that noise. I'm like, yeah. Um, and I remember just being so ashamed. And then I remember a time when I left, like maybe it was like two years later, I was in the kitchen with our kid and I was dancing and we were dancing together and just being silly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like, I get to do this now. Um, yeah. That's so, yeah. my son and I, we have been doing kitchen dance parties since <laughs> yeah. he was a baby busting up the pots and the pans. And now yeah. we've taken our show on the road and we do our car <laughs> dance party and air guitar. And mm. air, he's usually air guitar. I have to be the drums. So 
but he'll let me be the lead air singer sometimes. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, and that's for him too. There's freedom that he has in his self-expression that he didn't get. Right. When he, he was going there every weekend until he was four. Hmm. And there's a lot of abuse that he endured and hmm. witnessed. And so now to see him and he gets to experiment with his self-expression and, you know, his sense of style without his dad, like telling him that he has to take that off or, you know, shaming him for whatever it is, Hmm. you know, maybe just dancing. He gets to do that. He gets to be whatever version of himself Hmm. he wants to be, not who his dad tells him he needs to be. Right. Yeah. What are your visions and dreams moving forward? What does life look like for you right now? Oh my gosh. Life right now um, is all about stabilizing. You know, I've been in such a one day at a time, fight or flight, not being able to just like live in the moment and ground and experience life truly because I've been like preparing for everything that's coming Mm. so I my dream is to not have to be hyper vigilant every single day and to be able to you know live life in a way that feels light and free, but stable and grounded at the same time. So kind of a, you know, contradiction, but truly just wanting for my son, that sense of like stability and groundedness, but also that ability to have free freedom in his self-expression and the same for me. So as far as like how I envision that manifesting, you know, I am really invested in progressing in my career and, you know, making that, you know, our foundation. And then in the long term, just investing in my creative side and expressing that in whatever way that comes out. But I think like eventually getting more in or back into creative writing Mm -hmm. and my long-term goal and dream would be to be able to write, you know, a book and then potentially screenplay and eventually a movie. And, you know, it's something I just feel kind of every time I think about it, I get like full body goosebumps. And I just take that as an indicator that this is, you know, whether it's when I'm, you know, 50 or 70, whatever it is, Mm. I think those will be you know, those will be things that I'll say are accomplish- accomplishments of mine personally. Yeah. I think about that all the time, especially as what was her name's growing. And I hear all these stories and I'm like, man, like a documentary or like some sort of like, even, I don't know. I don't know what is in store, but I just think that like, there are so many stories that should be captured and made was like such a good Netflix um, mm-hmm. because it, it embodied like abuse and I watched that and I wept I was like oh my gosh like when she sat in the train I think it was like the train station yeah did at nighttime it yeah. reminded me of like when I had fled and I was sitting in the airport and I remember like every flight possible was getting canceled and I was like oh my gosh like I'm gonna I'm never gonna get out of here and yeah. um like my body was like so tired from all of the abuse that I literally couldn't carry our kid in the airport because I had like so many, so many things and I was so tired. And I remember this woman, she like came up to me. She was on my plane that had gotten canceled and she was like, can I carry him for you? And she walked with me through terminal after terminal in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And she spoke English. She was from America and she just carried my kid. And then like, when we finally got to the final destination, like um, through customs, uh, we had to get our bags, um, cause we had all gotten deplaned. And when I 
um, you know, I needed to get my bags, which was like right nearby. It was like, right, you know, just one little thing over. And um, she was like, go get your bags. I'll wait here. And I was like watching Lee, but then I like turned my back to grab my bag. And when I looked back, uh, a flight attendant had Lee and I came back and I was like, where's that lady? And she was like, what lady? And oh I was like, goodness. where's the lady that was carrying my kid? And she's like, what lady? Like she just, she like, didn't like, it was like, they were busy. So I'm like, I was like, did she like, just leave or like, you know, but she just kind of like, here's your kid. And then just like, that was kind of it. And I remember looking around. Cause I'm like, why, why would she just leave? And like, was that an angel? Like, mm -hmm. what was that? And then like the next morning on the flight, I looked for her. She wasn't there. And I, for me, I always count it as like my angel as what I call her. Um, but I remember just like the made the made Netflix series and it's so perfectly depicting abuse and thinking like there needs to be more stories like this and they're captivating, they're real and they're very raw and help us to like resonate and relate. And so I think yeah. that's super cool. And like, I'll be praying for that because I, I mean, you see Netflix, I feel like is in a lot of different um, sources are, are airing stories of women's like stories of abuse or like just like really personal. Mm -hmm hard things and so yeah I don't know definitely is is possible and writing yeah. a book is more than possible you know I think so I think it's interesting because I've recognized that as my you know abuse story kind of began to evolve and become you know a custody battle and all of this stuff in the media you do just I started seeing it everywhere and it has been becoming more and more exposed whether it's through you know, celebrity trials and, you know, or you know, tragedies that we see, you know, happening every day. Mm. It's being exposed and being brought out into the open. And that's something too, where it validates that this is part of my life's purpose. Mm. And it doesn't mean that I deserved that abuse <laughs> or like I'm not grateful. I, I wish it didn't happen. But it did. And I know that I can do something with that. I don't have to let that become my ruin. Mm. I can't at this point because I've come too far. And so this will be, you know, something that I have not only survived, mm. but I really truly believe that there's potential to save so many lives through not just sharing my story, but sharing other people's stories and exposing these, you know, instances of abuse that are so prevalent and happen every single day. And it's the only way that we can create change. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, could not agree more. Man, I'm super grateful for you just like joining me today and just hearing like a bit more of your story and holding it in this space is like genuinely such an honor. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, no, um, I'm yeah, super grateful. And uh, yeah, it's just a really wild journey to connect with so many different women in this space and coming on a note we're already on two years now and it's just an honor to like, I don't know. Cause it's like what you experienced isn't in vain and people will come across like your story and there will be parts of your story that hit people really deep and they're going to be like, Oh, like, Oh, this is what I, you know, experienced or, Oh, well, mm -hmm that's weird. This is like something that my, you know, person does, but like, I mean, I wouldn't think chasing me down the road is abuse. I just would think he was just mad, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, um, oh, well he says he sees red sometimes, but like he had a really bad childhood. So, you know, and then it's like, they start to kind of navigate that journey. And like, I've seen so many women come through Instagram and be like, man, I found your podcast. And like, it's not even like my, because it's like literally like, I feel like it's like all of our podcasts because it wouldn't mm -hmm. be a podcast without everyone's stories. So it's not even my thing. I'm just here letting everyone speak their stories. And so it's like people come across the story of our podcast and they're like, dang, I, you know, totally resonate with this person. And it's because of this person's story that I got out. Mm -hmm. And I'm just glad to have your story here because uh, 
I know that that is something that people will relate to and it's never in vain. And yeah, I'm glad that we talked today and finally like got to have a conversation because we've just always known each other through Instagram. So I know, I know. I agree. I, I'm so glad we're able to finally do this. And I, I really hope that, you know, I'm sharing my story is able to help anybody. And I also hope that through sharing too, you know, I want to just reiterate the importance of, you know, as a survivor, as somebody who's gone through abuse that we remind ourselves every day that it's not our fault. Mm. And those people just because it's, you know, being in something for, for the duration that I was in, you can definitely sit there and think like, you know, all the things, why didn't I leave? I, how, you know, blaming yourself for all of it, for accepting it. But the issue is the abuser and them actively choosing to abuse their victims every single day. And so I hope that, you know, anybody listening just knows that, that it's not their fault. It's Mm. not our fault. Mm. And that they just have to keep pushing through because there is a day where you'll know and like that exit sign will just be glaring in your mind and you'll know. Right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no, of course. Um, yeah, I'm super, I'm like, I like do the graphics and I'm like so excited to make your graphics because I'm like, <laughs> how much like vision and, and like from your story and like, I am already just like thinking about your title and like, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just. I just love bringing these things to life. Um, I know. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you. Um, All right, guys. Uh, So tune in Thursday for, well, this episode, we're recording this uh, the day before because it's me and I am just all over the place. And so tomorrow (laughs) the episode airs um, and yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to have it airing. Um, if you could do me a favor and just go to Spotify, it literally takes one second to just rate the podcast. If you go to Apple podcast, if that's what you use, writing your review and um, rating it, it actually boosts the podcast so that more people can like see the podcast and it just opens doors for more stories to be heard for this to grow into something more. And um, it literally just takes a couple of minutes. So it would really help me a lot. Um, I'm super grateful for all the people in this space and yeah, um, love you guys.